Hello and welcome to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast, number 98. I'm your host, Brian. Joining me this evening, welcoming, and we're going to welcome her back, because last time I forgot to introduce her and she disappeared for several weeks. Kimberly! Hi everybody, I'm back! And I, I, it was not because Brian dissed me. I'm used <laughs> to Brian dissing me. <laughs> right. We believe you. you. You should be used to that by now. Also, Ian. Hey, good evening. And Ian, tell me about your likes and dislikes. Uh, got many of them, but right now my big obsession is Doctor Who with the 50th anniversary coming up. And yes. the correct answer is long walks on the beach. Moving forward, uh, Mac. Is that Mac supposed who? to be like or dislike? Uh, Mac, tell me your dislikes. Um, and dead bird stories. Moving on. That is true. <laughs> and of course, we have dumbass. Wait again, Sam. <laughs> likes or dislikes? Um, and moving on. Terry <laughs> is also with us this evening. Coffee. Coffee's my like. Correct. Ding ding ding. All right. I think Terry's she was the psychic. smartest. She always gets them right. <laughs> she used the question before it was even asked. <laughs> yeah, I know what you need. Uh, and you'll all million dollars. Brian didn't ask me what my likes or dislikes were. I didn't even oh. know get it wrong. <laughs> oh, dissed again. Uh, but your intro was so long already. I mean, I did this whole introduction, and we already know your dislikes. It's not Brian. getting asked, or in, or 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 not getting introduced. That's your dislike. It was clear. Oh, you're right. Okay. <laughs> Phew. I think I saved myself that time. You might have gotten away with it, too. How is everybody this if evening? It hadn't been for those kids and their dog. <laughs> yes. I'm doing good. Excellent. Doing all right. All right, great. Okay, well. <laughs> hey, do we have any quick announcements, anything? Um, I've got just a couple of little things going on around town. We've got a... Uh, First, we've got a godless girls or ladies, secular ladies group meeting on Saturday at the Hub. There's also a chance to volunteer for Project Cure, which assembles medical supplies that are not being used here for use in other places that don't have access. Those are both on Saturday the 23rd. Check out the website for those. And the other big story coming up December 21st is going to be this huge solstice party. Uh, at the, between the hub and right next door, Exto, we're going to have dancing, we're going to have a silent auction, we're going to have food, all sorts of stuff. All right. In addition to that, December 21st will not be my wedding anniversary. <laughs> it's still my son's birthday, so. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, you can still have that. Yeah. <laughs> it's my engagement anniversary. Oh, Excellent. See? Two out of three ain't bad. That's a meatloaf song. <laughs> yes. A terrible one, too. No. Yes. No, that's a good song. You have to love the loaf. Oh, God. <laughs> Do I? Really? He's Ever. awesome. All right. Says you. Future Our- future podcast topic. <laughs> I was just going to say, awesome. we should discuss this. <laughs> podcast. In de- maybe it's an intervention for me. Maybe. All right. Well, let's uh, let's find out what Ian and Terry have for us. The Amateur Skeptics present Ian's Masturbation Moment, brought to you by the Dumbass Media Empire. The Dumbass Media Empire, bringing you content that touches people while they touch themselves. Actually, I'm not involved in this oh. one at all. Oh, so this is just... See, this, this is our, music, our music is no good for this, you know, when it's just Terry... Oh no! Dumbass, dumbass says dumbass. something though. Dumbass is up first. Well, let's let's do that real quick. So, Dumbass has a quick, I swear, update on prone <laughs> masturbation. A quickie with dumbass. A quickie with right. dumbass. <laughs> yeah, I promise no filibustering this time. Um, <laughs> it's a since we're doing um, follow up episode. I have an update on prone masturbation. This seems to come back up every once in a while uh, that somebody sees the old thread and decides to challenge my views on prone masturbation. And uh, that's what happened uh, last month. And uh, there really wasn't anything new or noteworthy to report about it. But uh, but then once again, Mr. Douglas Adams decided to step in and challenge my assertion that what's needed are randomized, double-blind, case-controlled clinical trials. His uh, argument uh, was basically that his research was valid and he threw out a bunch of stuff about chi-squared tests and went into a lot of technical details trying to defend his studies as valid. Um, his biggest claim to legit- legitimacy was that his study was cited in an article in the Journal of Sex Research. 
Um, well, I don't think I need to tell many of you that being cited in an article is not the same thing as getting your article peer-reviewed and published. Uh, Doug told me that in, that my opinion on his research was useless because I haven't taken the time to fully go through all of it. And so, you know, I say, okay, fair enough, but my opinion on this research isn't actually important. I'm not the guy that Doug needs to convince in order to make his position medically relevant. If he wants leg legitimacy, I can't give that to him. He needs to get his research published in a peer-reviewed journal and convince the medical community. So I basically told him that, and uh, there hasn't been any more conversation on that since. Um, although uh, one anonymous redditor uh, saw the saw the thread on uh, prone masturbation and decided to give me a month of Reddit gold because of that. So whoever you are, if you're listening to this, thank you very much. Well, wait, are you saying that you are not an actual expert on masturbation? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm a fan of masturbation. <laughs> Maybe what he needs is a Cleopatra B vibrator. <laughs> Boy, I didn't know where you'd get one of those. Oh. Uh, <laughs> so Dumbass alerted us to the pop culture claim that Cleopatra invented the very first vibrator ever by capturing bees in some type of jar. The theory is that the frantic action of the swarm would then vibrate the container. But is it true? I haven't personally tested the vibratory power of a swarm of angry bees, but the claim doesn't sound quite plausible, I don't think. The logistics of the V-Vibrator just don't make sense to me. You know, I was thinking about this, and I kind of think that if you enclose the bees together in some sort of a container, they're going to tend to go quiet. Well, and even if they don't, you would have to have the container walls would have to be so thin in order not to dampen the vibratory output that it wouldn't. It might not be a safe um, device to use, right? If they can p punch through, the, <laughs> their little stingers can punch through. I, I think that it's as safe as ever Ever having angry bees near your genitals is probably as, as safe. You know, my, wait true. a second, though, but how many bees would you have to put into a jar to actually feel the buzz that much? See, I haven't tested it. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, Terry, you, you say you haven't tested it. I, I got to know, <laughs> exactly how committed are you to this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Not that committed. <laughs> So the other, my other objection is you would think that someone like Cleopatra would have plenty of domestic help to perform masturbatory services should she need those. Like, why would she even need a bee vibrator, for Pete's sake? <laughs> People to do that. So um, I couldn't find any evidence. Wikipedia dates the invention of vibrators in general to around 1794. But, you know, there might have been some earlier prototypes that we just don't know about or didn't make it into the news or whatever. And... Um, Oh, I think ahead. Cleopatra kind of gets a bad rap, period, because, you know, essentially what we're dealing with here is a woman who was a powerful woman in her time, and because she was a powerful woman, she kind of got the reputation for being a slut. You know, there could be some slut-shaming there going on for sure. Yeah, yeah, I suppose so, yeah. Um, even though I couldn't find any archaeological evidence or written evidence that she had a bee vibrator, I did find a West African folktale that contains a section about collecting hornets in a gourd. Maybe this folktale informed the idea of a bee vibrator in the popular culture, though. So just just to briefly uh, cover the folktale, because it's interesting to me, um, there's an African trickster character named Kwaku Anansi. He's the Spider-Man. You might have heard some of the spider stories that are pretty popular or pretty common throughout Africa. And then um, they also made their way over to the Caribbean and North America uh, as uh, Aunt Nancy stories. So in the story, in order to pay the sky god, Anansi collects hornets in a gourd. Um, and here's the hornet passage. Anansi crept through the tall grasses, Sora, 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 till he came to the nest of Mburo, the hornets who sting like fire. Anansi held the banana leaf over his head as an umbrella. Then he poured some of the water from the calabash over his head. The rest he emptied over the hornet's nest and cried, It's raining, raining, raining. Should you not fly into my calabash so that the rain will not tatter your wings? Thank you, thank you, hummed the hornets, and they flew into the calabash. Fum! Anansi quickly stopped the mouth of the gourd. Now, Umbura, you are ready to meet the sky god, said Anansi. So although I could not find evidence of Cleopatra's V-vibrator, it's interesting to think about the ways that threads of historical oral traditions might weave themselves into modern folktales. Mm. And so and did the make sky god want the, want the gourd full of bees to get off of? That's what I was about to say. Yeah. It's the vibrator of the gods. Yeah, yeah exactly. He d it, doesn't, uh, it doesn't say what the sky god does with that. He also has Anansi collect a leopard with terrible teeth and a fairy whom men never see. So. Kinky. Well, was this <laughs> was this before or after he fought the Sandman? 
I don't know. Oh yeah, they're just thinking of the other Spider-Man movie. So while no, while I, we I know can't, who Anansi is. I've, yeah. I, sadly, my knowledge of that comes from Neil Gaiman's American Gods and Spider. Uh, not Anansi, Anansi boys. boys. Anansi boys. Yeah. So while we can't prove the existence of that bee vibrator, I do have empirical evidence for the existence of the mini bee bumblebee gold vibrator and the bee my honey sucker vibrator. <laughs> Right? There's a Gizmodo article that um, compares and contrasts kind of older vibrators to newer ones. Yeah, I, I saw that. That was that was pretty awesome. All right. Anything else there? No, that's all I had. So I, I've, I've brought myself to Cushion. <laughs> <laughs> oh, excellent. So while I appreciate uh, that people need, they feel the need to proselytize, there are several inappropriate ways to proselytize. And we discovered them this Halloween. Uh, Ian, why don't you, why don't you go first? Okay, well, I have it in my hand. This, the front of it, looks awesome. It's a million-dollar bill. It has a jack-o'-lantern on it. It's very well done. It looks like, you know, currency, although it does say, you know, this note is not legal tender. Department of, I, I, I didn't catch this the first time, but it actually said Department of Eternal Affairs. So I've got a bit of a hint that there's a religious connotation to it, but it looks really awesome in the front. It's very well done, very artistic. And like I said, now looks cool. Um, I loved it. But you turn it over and start reading. The million dollar question. Will you go to heaven when you die? Here's a quick test. And basically it's our friends from the living waters, which we've talked about before. And it's Kirk Cameron's whole thing about if you look at a woman with lust, you're a sinner. If you breathed in the air, you're a sinner. If you've done anything just by being alive, you're a sinner and you need to pray to God to make sure you don't go to hell. So, so there's the really basic. no downside to looking at a woman with lust. You can't <laughs> avoid being a sinner. Yeah, that, well, that's, yeah, that, that's the basic argument, which has always been so pathetically weak for me. But yeah. So that's now nice. your kids, I assume they got this while trick or treating somewhere. Right. And was it? They, um, the house gave a little bag. It had this, couple other um, religious things in it, and some candy. Okay. And the other religious things were even, more, you know, one was a, a weird little two things with the exact same stuff on the back of it. Um, and the other was basically your tick tracks, but toned down to a kid activity book. Okay. And th those I tossed, they weren't interesting at all. I just, the million dollar bill I want to keep because of the front of it, because like I said, it was well done. I think that we have but, talked about that before. Yeah, I did. I did bring up a million dollar bill at some point in another, yeah. in another podcast. I, think that's, I do not remember what podcast that was, but I was given one and I thought it was actually pretty well done and pretty impressive myself. So now, did you offer the stuff to the kids to look at? They weren't interested at all. It's Halloween. They don't, you know. Right. Well, and they wanted the candy. What I got is basically, it, it is basically looks like a chick track to me. Very, very similar. It was, it's designed to, you make a pouch out of it. And you put the candy inside of it, so they had to, you know, sit there and fold all these things and and uh, and put the candy inside the pouch. And uh, there, th this particular one that I've got is from TruthQuest.org, so it wasn't from the Chick Track site, the the one that we've seen, but it looks very much like that. And it's basically, you know, a, a kind of a collage layout of a whole bunch of scary stuff. Wait, hold on a second, Brian. You yeah. mean that the people that you got this this candy from went to the effort of of origami? <laughs> to, to put the candy in to give to your kids. Well, to be to be fair, uh, you know, gotta respect that. Yeah, sure. There's some dotted lines that you fold on, right? And you fold it up so that you know, so that and this is pouch. And uh, but what what's very interesting about it is is just the is just the information that's on it, and it's all scary things. Like the Bible tells us a scary enemy, and its name is sin. Sin is everything we do that is wrong. The scariest part is everyone is a sinner. Romans 3.23. Uh, let's see. So sin brings death. Sin is the curse of, is the curse of all death and the pain in the world. Even scarier is the fact that sin makes, uh, makes it impossible for us to be with God because God is holy. Isaiah 5.9.2 or 59.2. If God allows sin near him, it would change who God is, and that's not possible. 2 Timothy 2.13. That doesn't even so make sense. So, God's vulnerable? It Apparently. would, uh, let me make sure I'm reading this right, because maybe I'm, because it, I, I think it actually really is that garbage, and it's not just my reading. 
Okay, because that makes Superman actually tougher than God. If God allows (laughs) sin near him, it would change who God is, and that's not possible. So, which is it? (laughs) Is it possible or not? So, yeah, so you're right. It it doesn't make great sense. If God is all-powerful. Our point is these are things that were given to kids at the Halloween treat. Right. And And it, it... I think both me and Brian can agree this isn't really appropriate. I mean, religious propaganda given to kids at a time where you know, you know they, they want to just have fun. I actually don't care, yeah. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. Because I offered to the kids. I said, "You guys want to read this?" No, they yeah. and just well, like they, your kids, they don't care. right? But I offer them the opportunity to take it. They, I, you know, they, I, you know, if it's yours, if you want to have it, right? I didn't, I didn't take this so that they couldn't read it. Right, I offered it to them, and they were completely uninterested. And most kids are going to be right. Well, right? I, well my, my boys like the million dollar bills. I know my oldest has kept his. I, the one I have right now is my youngest. Um, I, I'm keeping it for now. If he wants it, it's his. I doubt they're going to care what's on the back. But now the uh, the next one we have here, which is truly inappropriate, and it's the same type of thing. Um, and the article is no, this is not an okay tip to leave. Basically, what it is is it looks like a folded-up ten-dollar bill, and the people t- put it in the um the the case for the bill. You know, when you, when the server comes and gives you a bill, they normally give you a little case with it. So they fold the ten-dollar up and they put put it in the case. You open it up, and it's one of those fake little ones that's not a full bill, obviously. And on it is a whole little religious thing saying some things are better than money, like your eternal salvation that was bought and paid for by Jesus going to the cross. And it's basically a, you know, little religious spiel. And I'm sorry, people, a religious spiel does not pay the bills. Right. So ultimately, the one, that one is just plain rude. Yeah. If, if you're going to leave something like that, leave real money as well. Sure. <laughs> okay. That, that'd make a whole difference. If that's what you're leaving instead of money, you are a cheap ass bastard. <laughs> Right. Well, and you're only doing that at a restaurant you're never going back to. Right. right? But, but oh, here's something. It, it's if better than smart. money. <laughs> right. It's if, better if you're than smart, money. You're never going but back. here's the thing right. is that ultimately, are these at all effective? I mean, uh, they really just service to anger people. I, I'm thinking that the single mom waitress who's scraping together tips to pay her rent is probably not going to be terribly amused by eternal salvation. Right. Well, but it's her fault and for if being she a is... single mom slut who had kids, and you know what uh, I mean? Well, well yeah, yeah I, I did not look at the slut-shaming aspect of it. You're well, right on that. Thank you for acknowledging that she's a slut, Terry. <laughs> but that whole that whole idea that so many of these people have, that like single moms are not worthy of compassion because they, oh, yeah. you know, whatever, it's got to be their fault. It's kind of a weird thing you see that uh, religious people do all these things to try and get the word out there. And you want to, wait, who do you think your audience is? Who do you think you're convincing with, with this? And I know that uh, there are, um, there's this one corner close to where I live here. I walk down and uh, there are often people there with signs, pray to end abortion. Who, who, who are you convincing that's driving by? You know, who, who are, they're, maybe it's, maybe it's for themselves and for each other. Like well, in that self- case, yeah, in that case is rallying the base, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so all right. Well, as long as they're advocating doing something useless, I'm fine with it. <laughs> as long as it's wasting taxpayer ma- taxpayer money, I'm in favor. Well, there's no there's no taxpayer money going to that. Oh, okay. Well, I hope, right? There's not supposed to be. Yeah. Well, there is because it's a tax exempt organization, though, right? Well, now hold on a second. Do, oh, we, do okay. the same rules apply in Canada? I do not know. Okay, because we know that there's supposed to be separation of church and state here in the in the states but we don't know what the lo- what the laws are up in up in the great Wait, white North. doesn't canada have an official religion aren't you isn't it um agnosticism no it's not agnosticism <laughs> I, think I think it's something involving uh it's Probably not a the cross Anglican stick it's yeah. a bent stick and uh, a, a circular icon isn't it it's got to no, be i don't believe yeah. hockey is their religion yeah it's got to be the anglican church I mean, it, I, I don't know if Anglican if the Anglican Church is necessarily official, but I I it is I, official. I it that's was prominent. well, that's England's church. Yeah, I don't know, and it's it's telling though that that you don't know, dumbass. <laughs> it, it clearly does not impact your life. Well, yeah, I mean, um, I think uh, I don't know all of the details about uh, the laws about it here in Canada. I know that there are certain Catholic schools I've heard get funded by the state, which a, a lot of people uh, don't like. So uh, I'm not sure. Uh, we we don't have the same laws as you, so uh, I'm not sure exactly how far separation of church and state goes here. 
Well, we have we have the charter school system to get around it ourselves, so that we can fund our Catholic schools too. Well, there's a lot of that going on, isn't there? You know, a uh, side note I found out was mentioned to me by my parents yesterday when I was visiting oh. with them that apparently uh, there is a church that's been renting space at the high school across the street from my parents' church to hold their services in, and I'm like, that shouldn't happen, should it? Actually, that's perfectly legal as long as they're as long as they're paying. For, okay. for the time that they're in the building, where it becomes a problem is what these churches try to do is like they'll, they'll, they'll pay for, for the space from like nine to 12 and then they'll stay there all day. And so they'll overstay what they've paid for. And that's a ah. huge problem going on in Hawaii that actually the, um, FFRF is involved. No, are they involved in the suit? Anyway, there's a suit being brought against uh, against these churches in Hawaii, and the state has actually opted out of being part of the lawsuit. Oddly enough, so these other two people have have become um, district. Um, they they've been by proxy become become district attorneys for the case in some way, and so they are bringing the case on behalf of the state because the state has chosen not to be part of it. So the state is the state is kind of hedging their bets there because if they win, the state still benefits, and if they lose, well, the state can just say, well, you know, we weren't involved. So that's when it becomes a problem. But it is it is perfectly legal as long as as you know there's a is a pay for the time that they are renting that space. Okay. But like you say, you Good you have to start asking the question as to they have a church across the street. They're, they don't well, need yes, space. But they have a, they have a motive for doing this, and it is not because they need space to do it in. They ha- there is a church across the street, but it is not theirs. Oh, oh so it's a different. It's a different denomination. The church across the street is is Methodist, and uh, I think they sold part of their land and part of their building to a Chinese evangelical or a Korean evangelical. But either way, the ones that are renting the space in. The uh, renting the space in the school are Baptists. Yeah, I don't think that all. I mean, certainly, I don't think that these people are are quite using it in the same way like the Good News Club is. I mean, that's a problem because they want to be in. They want to be basically in the school almost during school or as close as they can be, right, to make it look like they're being sanctioned. But if the space is being used by a church on the weekends when school is not in session, then those people are just coming for service. So I, I would make a distinction there. Okay. All right. Well, then we should uh, move on. While we're talking about religion, let's go ahead and talk about Texas Texas. and textbooks. Yes, Texas is back at it. Uh, Not that I ever think they stopped, but, you know, we've talked about this before. But, you know, Texas has a lot of power in regard to the textbooks. They're they're big enough. They, um, you know, are, are going to buy enough textbooks that the textbooks publishers are very much manipulated by Texas as to what ends up getting into everyone's textbook. So because, what is the controversy here, Ian? Uh, well, the controversy is evolution versus um, creation science. Not that I'm, I'm still trying to figure out how that's a science, but that's what they keep trying to push. And um, one of the, the, this article, the first article we have here, um, Official Texas Review, Creation Science Should Be Incorporated into Every Biology Textbook. Uh, um, the first line of it, behind closed doors, which is, should alert anyone that something's not right. But basically, the Texas Board of Education is, without um, consulting anyone else, and we know for a fact from previous things that it's right now very, very highly um, dominated by conservatives, that um, basically they don't care about what anyone else's input these conservative um, fundamentalists are going to push their agenda and try and, you know, get everyone else to get caught up in it. But the article talks about five things, five striking examples um, of comments submitted by publish- two publishers by the State Review Panel. The first one, uh, this is, you know, really messed up. Oh, I understand the National Academy of Science's strong support for a theory of evolution. At the same time, this is a theory. Once more showing the yeah. lack of understanding of the term. Well, uh, I, I'm gonna. I, I would like to point out that the people bringing this are from the Discovery Institute. There is no um, misunderstanding of science here. This is this is this is very much um, ignoring ignoring what they already know. I mean, the, these people are. Um, it's deceptive. Yeah, they, it's they are deceptive. deceptive. They're worse, and yeah. and they're the ones that are calling cre- calling this creation science. It's not. It's not just your average creationist. It's specifically the Discovery Institute here. But it's saying, uh, 
I feel firmly that creation science based on biblical principles should be incorporated in every biology book. Well, like, I feel strongly that creation science based on Quranic principles should be incorporated <laughs> in every biology book. <laughs> or I, I, Buddhist principles. Or, how about you know, Navajo? I'm sorry, but creation science Navajo. is not biology. It's not science. Ugh. So, well, Navajo keep science. going. I want Navajo science. Then it gets into trying to ignore other details. They're concerned because tech neglects to tell students that no transitional fossils have been discovered. Um, once more, ignoring the fact that there's no evidence that would be transitional fossils because, you know, it doesn't work that way. Well, no, actually, we have a huge list of transitional fossils that they ignore. Yeah, they ignore the real transitional fossils and they pretend like, you know, the science of fossils is supposed to go a certain way. But that's, that's their typical straw man. Yeah. There's a lot ignoring about how transitional fossils actually do work in it. Uh, the reality of climate change. They're upset with climate change as well. They don't want talking about it, apparently. If I were in oh. Texas, I would pray for climate change. <sighs> I'm just saying. Yeah, but the problem is, is that it's getting hotter. It's not getting better. Yeah, well, well then, you know, maybe they can afford to move somewhere decent. <laughs> Go on. And they have issues with there's no discussion of the origin of information bearing molecules. I guess basically the start start of DNA. They're upset set because there's no discussion of that. And well, that's because that's one of those things we're still trying to completely figure out. But that's part of well, science. Their point in there is that things nature tends towards entropy, and so information like things that progress in information they Only they they don't understand the law. System. That right. only works in a closed system. We are not right, a closed right, right. system. They need but, to... that, but that's the reason yeah. they keep bringing yeah. it up is they, they try to do the micro-macro yeah. confusion. That's pretty much the same confusion that people have with uh, global warming, too. That, uh, oh, the, the world is getting warmer. How can we still have winter? And it's like, well, you know, it's because, you know, like it's a, it's a general trend towards warming. Doesn't mean that every place is going to get warmer, you know, even get uh, change temperature at the same rate. Well, in some places will get colder. Exactly. Yeah. And so your peach it, it, blossoms it, it, will freeze, and it doesn't mean that there's not global warming. It's the same right. thing with uh, with entropy, and entropy doesn't decrease all over the universe at the same rate. It, uh, it, it everything doesn't go into more of a state of disorder. Some places get some things get more ordered. Some and yeah, that's just the way things go. And but you know, and that's a pretty basic. I don't know. I've read like three books on entropy now, and it still twists my head. And one of the problems is is that these things are complicated. And that's part of why it's hard to to go out and defend them because they are difficult concepts, which they have no interest in pursuing. The people who have ideological arguments have no interest in honestly looking at the evidence. Right. And then they have a problem with the peppered moth scenario, claiming it was discredited, which I don't believe it ever has been. I, I don't know about. But imagine it was. Imagine we discredited <laughs> the entire system if there was one example. That was discredited. Yeah. What would that do to their little philosophy? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think that that one is a little bit more controversial because it seems to me that I have read something um, by Dawkins that says that we got that wrong. So they might actually be correct. But here's the thing is that it wasn't discredited by creationists. It was other scientists that went in and went, maybe we got this wrong, right? It was science correcting itself. Other scientists when you're referring to creationists. No, no, no. I'm not referring to, no, I'm not saying, I'm saying the creationists didn't do it. I'm saying other scientists corrected themselves. It was, it was, it was part of the process of science correcting itself. It was not the creationists. I'm saying it was not creationists who did, who discovered the flaw. It was other scientists. So even if, right, it was actual scientists. So even if they're right that the, that the peppered moth, um, was, was found to be incorrect, it wasn't by them. Right. But, and that, that alone doesn't just prove evolution anyway. So, and that'd be something we, for a future podcast, you know, next time we do a follow up thing and might look into exactly what the controversy on that is. Right. But so those are the examples they give as to why what needs to be taken out so it can be, you know, more, less facts about evolution, more promoting the idea of tracing, what they call tracing science. Right. So while they have Don, Mick, uh, uh, Don McElroy, I thought it was. McElroy, I think you're right. So they've got, you know, they've got this dentist who has, who helped to, you know, decide what the, what the standards were going to be. And so now these textbooks, the, the board, state board of education in Texas is deciding whether or not to accept these textbooks. And he is now advocating that these things be accepted. What, which, what you would think would sound great, except for the fact that they're based on the science standards that 
that he was part of um, of coming up with, and they are extremely watered down. And he is extremely pleased that the that these textbooks are so watered down they fail to give adequate evidence for evolution. And so he's like, so he wants these things because he's like, because hopefully that, you know, little Johnny will look at this thing and go, well, that's all the evidence they've got and say, well, instead we'll, we'll look towards creationism for his answers on, on how we got here. Ironically, evolutionists argue that creationists want to force their religious views in the text, but just the teaching of biology does that and teaching evolution demonstrates that's not how God did it. Since true testable science trumps dogmatism, strike the final blow to the teaching of evolution, support the Bible, and adopt these books. Basically, this guy is talking about how they're not proving their point and evolution does it better, and creation does it better. It, it, it gives you more explanations. But all these, but what they do is they, they set up all these things that this is what science has to do to prove this, 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 and it says it's failing. But they do not apply that to their own book. Well, because they don't need proof. Well, they don't. They have faith. It's, it is faith complete hypocrisy. Proof. And without faith, God is nothing. Yeah. So, so this guy, um, it, he, he's, and now there's, um, a movie with him in it, you know, going through this. And Colbert on the Colbert report completely tears this guy apart and he doesn't even know that it's happening. He, um, he, he, you know, he basically, at one point, Colbert says something, and he says, well, that's not true, and Colbert says, uh, yes, it is, I, because I, you know, I, I I've said it so, <laughs> basically, <laughs> and, and the guy just doesn't know what to do. It is you know, so I, I funny. Stephen Colbert. Yeah, but he, if but. If there is one conservative I would actually vote for for president, it would be Stephen Colbert. And fortunately, he's a liberal. Um, but. He uses the exact same arguments that he's arguing against him in this interview, and the guy doesn't know what's happening. It is so beautiful. Awesome. Yeah. Do we have more to say on the textbooks? <laughs> I probably do. <laughs> well, we, we could probably do a whole thing on just the textbooks. Right. We'll but, move on to more of how the Texas educational standards fail their students. Right. So not only are they watering down you know, they're, they're, you know, this create, the creationism, the other, and there's more, right? We're only focusing on two. There's other ways that the Texas is failing their students. Right. And, let, and let's, let's be honest, Colorado is failing their students in ways too, right? But maybe not as, um, overtly as, as Texas is. I, I was listening to Arn Ra's talk and one of the things that he was talking about was, um, teen pregnancy rates. So, and so the sexual education that they are teaching in Texas is absence only. And I can't, and one of the problems with absence only education is that there is no specific standard. So, so it's hard to say exactly what each state is teaching. So we don't know exactly what information that they're being given. Well, I don't, right? Somebody does. Just a pamphlet with the big words printed in large letters. Don't do it. Yeah, exactly. Well, and that's that's kind of what it seems like Texas is doing. And when you start to look at the statistics, um, the absence-only teen rates or uh, uh, teen pregnancy rates, I mean, they are not number one. No, yeah. Well, um, well, our, well, I'm looking at figure two here on your first trends in teen pregnancy and childbearing. Figure okay. two, map of the United States showing basically teen pregnancy birth rates for 15 to 19-year-olds. And if you look at it, it's very interesting because you can see the Bible Belt um, is where the most teen pregnancies are. Right. So no way. So yeah, no. <laughs> I know you're shocked. Well, they must not. I mean, some of these are, are really low, but um, the national average is thirty-one point three. In what is that per thousand? So God must want teenagers to have sex with each other, right? Or He wouldn't give them babies all the time. <laughs> right. So Arkansas is. Is the highest at fifty point seven. Mississippi is at fifty point two. Um, Texas comes in at number five at forty six point nine. As as to Colorado, who we don't have perfect uh, sex education standards, we're at twenty eight point nine. So we we are you know quite a bit lower than um, than Texas. We don't we don't necessarily we we're not giving good AIDS management um, courses and stuff like that, but. Actually, we have come a long way since 2008. Ours have come down substantially, and they and and this state has been very good about making uh, clarifying what what is to be taught. Um, it's still not perfect, but it's better. But when you look at a state like New Hampshire, who has comprehensive state um, sex education courses, it's like 13.7. 
Right. Yeah, but that's the number of people who are in New Hampshire. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So population density might have might um, bear some on this, but I, I but, think that their teaching standards the are better. California has a higher population density. Yeah, la, la. You know what I'm saying? Than right. Mississippi, and at Mississippi the top. So you know. Well, I guess uh, parents in the Bible Belt have uh, have a uh, foolproof method for dealing with uh, teen pregnancy too. It involves the father on the porch with the shotgun. <laughs> yeah. Well, At you know, they ain't being born bastards. We know that they that statistically that they've had higher rates of abortions in these states. Yep. The states that are that are that are trying to get these services out of their states the hardest are the ones that have the biggest problems with teen pregnancies. Texas included. Texas is at this point probably one of the worst. Um, but I was, I was, I did find something very odd on here because, uh, New Mexico comes in at number three, which I, which I was surprised about because it's typically a blue state and I, yeah, and, that's... and so they, they kind of bucked the trend. What I found out about New Mexico, however, is that, um, aren't teaching absence only necessarily. Their standards are not as high. Contraceptive use is low for New Mexico high school students. So they have lower, so it's only at 65.5% usage where um, the national average is 75%. So they have, so they are not, it says um, other states with higher teen pregnancy rates, uh, Arizona, are not required to teach sex ed. So they are teaching sex ed, but they are not doing a very good job of it. Or maybe it's an access issue. Um, let's see. Access to birth control. <clears throat> um, New Mexico. Let's see. New Mexico, the state that tops the list. This was an earlier. This was in 2008 when they were at the top. Um, has sex and HIV education in public schools. However, the sexual health information is not required to be medically accurate. Well, that's the theory, margin. right? If you want to prevent uh, teen pregnancy, teach kids sex education, but teach it wrong. Yeah. Right. Well, and that's kind of what New Mexico looks like they have done here is that they're, they're med- it doesn't have to be medically accurate. So they, they're teaching it, but eh, doesn't necessarily have to be correct, which is a little scary. Teach them how to do it wrong, you know. Oh, and that's caused a lot of problems. I mean, the scare tactics don't work. That's been proven. Well, and that's one of the things they often put into the um, absence only is these scare tactics that are not accurate information, that aren't teaching the kids anything useful, and the kids leave there completely confused as to what the reality is. I mean, what is the what is the main thing that most teenage kids all have in common? They're horny. They're horny. They have hormones. And so what are we telling them? Don't do that. Not why they shouldn't do it, not what could possibly happen, but just... Not how to... Not how to just don't. You're, not you're, how expecting, to. you're expecting people who are barely in control of anything to control themselves against a very fundamental impulse. Right. And so they so we're 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 kind of giving these kids the wrong message. Whereas in other states where they're where they're saying where they're giving all the options and in like in Colorado, abstinence only is part of the education standard. I would never taught it. Um, I, I don't, but the standards have changed since you and I were in school. Yeah, true. I also think you empower kids by telling them the truth and saying these are your options and you have the ability to be responsible for it. I think that, you know, that alone empowers them and gets them saying, okay, you know, I have control over that. I have the power over that. I can make the choices. When you tell them just, um, it's bad for you to do what you guys feel like you have to do, that almost makes them... To me, at least, it would kill the logically kill the self worth, self worth, and make them more likely to not have respect for themselves, not um, say, "Hey, I'm in control." That's a really good point because they might think there's something wrong with them. Like I have these urges that all these other kids must not have, right? If everyone else is abstinent or not masturbating or whatever, Uh, they can control the feelings, and I can't. Why? You know, it's like no, you can't. You know, that they have must. You know, it, it, it's not about that. It's about taking control yourself, about having the respect to say, okay, if I'm going to engage in it, I'm going to be smart about it. Right, but, but and the other piece of that is, what are teenagers likely to do when you tell them not to do something? Yeah. They're likely to go out and find out why they... Why it's why it's fun? Why they why you're telling them not to have fun? Right. So when you're giving them a lack of information, they have to go find out for themselves. Yep. Never forget, Ian, that when you were in school, and when I was in school, and when Brian was in school, we all had access to good contraceptive, good contraceptives available to us. Highly available. Oh I yeah. Mean, yeah. They were they everything. Were... It came it came in a box from tac from TSR. 
<laughs> Best contraceptive there was. Uh, <laughs> I've heard stories. Well, you know, condoms were available in my school. I knew, we, we knew which teacher had them, and we knew where to go get them. And they uh, got used. Uh, you know, my, you know, my son, I'm completely open with him. Any questions he has, I will answer with it. Uh, my wife's a bit more... You know, worried about that, but she um also was raised in a very strong religious family and um, wasn't allowed to take sex education classes in school. When we met, her knowledge of her own body was really bad. Yeah, and I actually had to. Here we are at twenty one, and I'm busy teaching her how her, her menstrual cycle works, stuff like that. Like she didn't understand it because she was never allowed to take sex ed. And She's not was, alone. I've heard those stories. I've heard similar stories from other women. Yeah. yeah. You know, and the other thing, and I'm sure that you'll agree with this, Ian, anytime a woman gets pregnant, it's always the boy's fault. Always. <laughs> Why didn't he just keep his Well, I can honestly say with our second child, it's her fault. <laughs> Knowing, we know the time frame. Um, she got pregnant, and there's no doubt it was her fault. <laughs> Well, if you just held an aspirin between your knees, Ian. <laughs> oh, wait, that doesn't work that way, does it? I say that only because I only have girls and he only has boys. I mean, I, I don't know what else to say on that. Is Did it, you bring it, yourself to completion? Yeah, I brought myself to completion. Okay. Do we get something wrong? Do we say something you disagreed with? Or, on the off chance, we actually said something you did agree with? Let us know. Email us at WTF at AmateurSkeptics.com or leave us a voicemail at 720-295-7785. We'd like to hear all your comments, suggestions, and ideas for the show. Now for our next little follow-up. Yeah, um, so... A podcast ago, we talked about the teen girls going around the world dealing with sexually transmitted demons. <laughs> yeah. Well, they are still going at it. And now they're over in the UK because the UK is apparently falling apart. There's evil everywhere because Harry Potter. I think I've heard Mr. Larson say before that London is kind of a centre for witchcraft. What's going on with that? Well, it, I think it's been centuries in the making. Um, but I believe it all kind of came to a pinnacle peak with all the Harry Potter books that have come out and the Harry Potter rage that swept across England. And did you know something? The spells in Harry Potter that uh, these, okay, the girls will admit they've never read the Harry Potter books, but they know that all the spells in the Harry Potter books are accurate. Spells and things that you're reading in the Harry Potter books, those aren't just something that are made up. Those are actual spells. Those are things that came from witchcraft books. <laughs> Which so also I, tells me they have no clue whatsoever about witchcraft because I've studied Wicca to some extent. I'm not saying I'm an expert, but the Wicca, not, uh, in nothing I've seen in Wicca do they sit around with wands saying nonsense words. No, I, they have. I'm, I'm sorry, but from the standpoint of having experimented with the Avada Kedavra, there would be a death rate out here in Colorado, <laughs> <laughs> which no, no. would be provable. Well, my, actually... empirical, my empirical evidence is that I could not repair my son's glasses with the ocular repair. I know. That would be so awesome if that spell worked. You know, the, have my glasses yeah. again. the other thing is, is not only have they not read them, they've made a pledge that they will never read these books. But they know that the spells in them are accurate somehow. Well, and not only that. Let me, let me make this point. Apparently, it's the UK that's falling apart because of Harry Potter, despite the fact that the books are available in every damn language on the planet, including Klingon. Well, they're just making their rounds, you know. That they're, they're, I mean, they, they, isn't there a TV show? Well, um, the BBC there is going to be a BBC documentary titled "Teen Exorcist." Right. So, I mean, here's the thing: is that this is a publicity stunt. But what scares me about these girls is is they are are giving this bad information, and they're giving it as if it's completely accurate. It and they have no sources for this. They won't read the material in which they have a problem with in the first place, but yet they know it's bad. Harry is using this magic for good. So here we have the dangerous idea that you can use this magic for good or bad. When in reality, all magic is bad because they're getting your power from Satan. And that's one thing I've always loved within the biblical sense. It doesn't matter if you do good or evil. It matters where it comes from. If you were to use uh, magic in order to save thousands of people, that's a horrible bad thing. If God uses his powers to kill thousands of innocent people, that's a good thing because it's God the miracle did. of the Passover. You know, it has nothing to do with um, the actual act. It has all to do with where the power to do that act comes from. 
Right. And it's like, no, that ugh, that scares me. I, I, I can't get into that mentality because it doesn't... To me, that's the most immoral thing you can say. Is good, you know, doing something good doesn't matter if, you know, it, it, it says Robin Hood truly evil then because he was helping the poor people by stealing from the rich. And that, this logic says, oh, well, then he was a horrible, horrible person for helping people out because he got it from questionable ways. I don't know if he was necessarily a horrible person, but apparently he couldn't pull off an English accent. <laughs> but the, In it, either you know, movie. The, the morals of it get foggy when you get into some of that logic. Girls are pleasant looking, they're attractive looking, they're young, you know. They have, they have no have sex lot- education. Yeah. Yes. We have to remember, well, premarital sex apparently um, allows demons to come and possess and you. And let us not forget that one of them happens to be the daughter of, of by my book, Bob Larson. And it's actually two of them are his daughters. Oh, I thought it was just one daughter. No, it's, okay. it's two of them. It's uh, Bryn and... Tess and Savannah. Bryn, it's Tess and Bryn, I thought. Yeah, Bryn and Tess. And then Savannah is their friend. Well, anyway, so the second, to, to kind of show you the counter to that, um, the second article here shows, um, basically, um, this time the, is, is it the father we were just talking about? Bob either? Larson. Is, well, Bob Larson is, is their father, yeah. Uh, I think he's the one. That's, I don't think anyways, he, no, I don't think he's the one doing the, the, um, that's not Bob Larson. No, Vincent Tin, oh. I can't even pronounce that last it, name. Yeah, well, they do. So they do talk about the girls in this article, um, and which is fine. I mean, yeah, it's not Bob Larson, but okay. this is the kind of stuff that Bob Larson does, and and Bob Larson makes no bones about the fact that he's charging for these services, right? So I mean, basically, what they're doing, they're doing. I mean, this is aggressive, vicious. I'm not even sure how to describe it. Um, exorcism of people, and they target. Um, unwed mothers, drug addicts, you know, people that have low self-esteem to begin with, and basically vulnerable people. Yeah, vulnerable people, and they convince them they are possessed by demons, and they that the, um they will be fine if they go through these two hours um sessions. Right. If no. they're not church, if the church members, it's actually free. But if they're not church members, two hundred and fifty pounds, which I believe is around five hundred dollars. I don't know about the exact exchange rate, but I know it's, it's not quite that much. But yeah. sure. Which means that if they're church members, it's free. It means that the churches probably worked out some sort of a, be- a deal where they lined Bob Larson's pockets pretty, uh, pretty thoroughly. But you, you watch the video, and this is—I mean—they're just vicious. The way they're you know what, though? I, I tell you, as far as I mean, this this is—I mean, it's not as vicious as some of the exorcisms that I right. have watched. I mean, it, it's bad, but they get much worse. And we've had stories of much worse exorcisms. I mean, we have when, when they're stomping on people and crap yeah. like that. So this is bad, but he never hit her. He never. I mean, it, there was no striking involved. I mean, they they did restrain her, but they didn't hurt her in in the process of this. So, albeit it, yeah. I mean, the whole thing is. But you, you I found the process interesting. They would start yelling louder and more at her. She would get more emotional. Yes. And you can almost see it's like, yeah, of course, you're yelling at someone, you're stirring their emotions, you've convinced them they're possessed, that they're getting into it, and they're, you know, it, it, it's a cycle. You could see it. It, it, it built up, and it wasn't, from, the, the buildup wasn't coming from her, it was coming from them. They got more aggressive, so it came out of her more aggressive. Sure, but... That, that's what I saw. Yeah, I mean, and like you say, I mean, and, there is some aggression here, but I, as far as, I mean, I've seen way worse exorcisms. Yeah, I, I agree there's way worse, but I'm talking about the cycle. And I think the other exorcism videos are—you'll find the same thing. The person isn't the one. Who, the person who's supposedly possessed is not the one who is getting aggressive to begin with. They have someone yelling in their face, and they come back at that, and they have an emotional response to that. And that, to me, that's what's triggering them. This whole thing—it's not the people actually have problems. It's these people yelling in their faces and being, you know, right there telling them, you know, what's going on, and they're reacting to it. That's well, what I saw with her. Well, but they're playing their part. Yeah. I mean, they, they are, they are doing what is expected of them in these. I mean, it's, it's like the, like this, the stage hypnosis, um, right. kinds of things that we see where people, where it's like, you know, people will, you know, you know, talk into their shoe because they, you know, they're supposed to be under hypnosis types of thing. It's the same I, thing going on here. And I, I've seen actual church services where the people get overly, you know, I, I've been there and I was trying to figure out why are you getting so emotional over this? And they would, you know, be in tears and stuff. I just, ah. Oh. And I'm saying like, okay, this isn't that crazy. And 
But you get a, the people in the right mindset, they can get so caught up in their emotions. And that's yeah. what, to me, the exorcism is. It's getting them in the right mindset, yelling at them, and just getting the emotions going so that they, you know, you like the hypnotism. And that's the, you know, trick. Bob Larson likes to do the kind of more showmanship type of thing where he pushes right. them over at the end and somebody's supposed to catch him. He's done a lot of that crap. Yeah, I uh, I used to listen to a radio show that he did, and he would he would basically I, I, he would have his screeners, or I would presume that this is what was going on, basically because of the type of people he would have on. He would have his screeners basically bring in the people who were his biggest fans, or the stupid stupidest atheists, Wiccans, or Satanists who happen to call in that he could basically destroy on the radio. You know, the other problem is, you know, these Protestant churches, because there's no single head, there, there's no, there's no way to, you know, to, for anybody to get a hold of what's going on here. I mean, the Catholics have very strict, uh, guidelines, you know, that you, that, you know, for a, for a possession that have to be met before somebody's possessed. With Bob Larson and these people, any, everything's possession. Oh, yeah. If you're gay, you're possessed. You know, if right. you're cheating on your wife, you're possessed. If you, can't study in school you're possessed i mean you know if you have a constipation you're possessed everything's possession with these people it's just so distasteful and predatory so yeah they're they're definitely preying on these people who who really do need help a couple podcasts ago we had talked about um ender's game and that's actually what brought in um dumbass to become a regular i believe because of his um the debate over the boycotting of right um the movie yeah now the movie has come out um, it had a great opening weekend and has somewhat fallen since then. I'm actually trying to look up right now to see how it's doing right now. Um, 53.6 million, not a huge success. It, w- it was the top of its first week, then of course the next week Thor came in. I myself have seen it. I actually got to go to a sneak preview of it, so it actually didn't cost me anything. Well, and I, I, enjoyed it. I read the book and I went and saw it. You know, we were talking about the whole idea of the boycott of it. Um, and there's been, you know, obviously there's, there's actually been a lot of issues, you know, the sci-fi community has been, you know, exchanging stuff on this because it is, you know, the sci-fi community is generally, generally very liberal, and especially with stuff like, um, same-sex marriage and stuff. The majority of the people, the fans and the writers and stuff are going to be liberal and on the side of marriage equality. So this definitely was one of those things that really stirred things up. Um, the first article is Harrison Ford, um, defending um, movie saying you have to separate the movie itself from the writer because you know th- there's nothing in Indar's game that defends um, Orson Scott Card's b- views. So you can separate the two, enjoy the movie for what it is, and not worry about the writer's um, religious views that have nothing to do with the story. And he-, he gives a decent argument for that. Then the next article we'll look at is um, from. Uh, local author, um, Carrie Vaughn. She's, she's brilliant. I love Carrie Vaughn. Uh, if you ever get the chance to read her stuff, she has a new one coming out with the sequel to one of her best books ever, which was End of the Golden Age. That was a good book. That was a very good book. Very good book. And she has the sequel to that coming out called Dreams of the Golden Age. And this is... I'll be picking that one up. Yeah. I think that... Yeah, January. So she's a local author. I love her. She's all, I've been on a couple panels with her at Mile High Con. She's fun. But um, she was talking about why she wants the movie to be a success. And basically, she wants to support movies based on high-concept science fiction novels in the hope of increasing the chances of seeing movies based on... And she gives a, a list of movies. You know, the most famous is probably The Stars of My Destination, which is um, such an intense read. But her thing is saying, the way Hollywood works, they're not going to look at the controversy on Ender's Game. They're going to look at how successful it is. If it's successful, they're going to go and look for other stories like that to do. And so she's saying, I want movies like that, based on books that I've enjoyed that are the same style of books, to be made because, you know, that's the stuff I enjoy. So, see, you know, and that's her, you know, saying, listen, you know, this is what Hollywood looks at. The book and everything. And many of the arguments have already been made. The movie itself, Orson Scott Card's probably not making anything off. He's probably the, um, you know, he sold the rights to it so long ago that he, that's, you know, he's probably not getting any, any of the bottom line here. He's probably been paid. He's set. The, the main um, way he's making money now off this is the sale of his books. And that's actually a general thing. Whenever a movie comes out, the authors generally make tons off the books suddenly jumping back into the, um, bestsellers list. Then we have another brilliant author. I've met him at, um, Worldcon a few years ago. 
and it was John Galvey. His latest book was was Red Shirt, which was a great little okay. play on the on Star Trek stuff. Brilliant book. It was a short book. It did just win the Hugo this year, so it's a award winning book. And he has almost a similar argument to Kerry Vaughn, but his he even admits is kind of selfish. He wants Ender's Game to do good because that means people will look at his books. And he has, you know, apparently there are studios that are thinking about picking up his um, Old Man War series, which is a brilliant series. I've read um, three of them now, I think. I think he's got four or five in that series. Uh, one of them is from the daughter's point of view, and it's just so brilliant. He's a brilliant writer. He really is. But he says, you know, I'm, it's a bit selfish of me because, yeah, I want my stuff to do good. And if this does good, that means other writers like myself will have a better chance at selling their stuff. You know, he, he finishes up, boycotts are a perfectly valid excuse of political speech. Participate in one if you think it necessary. I don't um, tend to boycott creators, but don't mind if you do, even if that creator happens to me, be me. Freedom of speech does not mean freedom from consequences. And everyone should remember that, especially folks who have spent a while pissing off a bunch of folks. <laughs> A lot of John Scalzi stuff seems to be written to, to to be made into movies, doesn't it? Yeah, I can see that. There's a feel to it. So, I, I would I I do tend to agree, you know, with his position that basically, if you need to boycott it, boycott it. And and I think that's kind of what we've said from the beginning, right? Right. So this, you know, we th- we okay. Go ahead. Oh, you, you go go ahead. Uh, I'll uh, I'll do my thing after you finished uh, okay. your. So the this last one is actually probably, to me, the most important of the four articles I threw up here, even though it goes the other way. Uh, the title of it is Orson Scott Card, Mentor, Friend, Bigot. Basically, this young lady, um, when she was a kid, she read Ender's Game, uh, when she was eight. And it, he says, she says, it's um, my first and most precious paper mirrors. Basically, the book meant a whole lot to her. She read it, and you know, it really meant something to her. She got it autographed in college. No, no, before that. But she had, so she had this old battered copy of it autographed by him. In college, she started corresponding with Orson Scott Card regularly. She's had dinner at his house. She considers him a mentor. So he helped her you know, with her writing and stuff like that. You know, they had apparently a fairly close relationship. She is, by the way, a lesbian. When Card came out talking, uh, you know, being anti-gay, that really hurt her. You know, it, it, matters to her greatly that he is like that. She says she will not support him at all now. She will not see the movie. She's not going to buy any more of his books. However, she admits she will. She still treasures the beat-up autographed copy of Ender's Game. It still means a lot to her, even though she now has issues with him. And honestly, I, I, out of all these, this is the one that, to me, is the most down-to-earth, because this is definitely a personal experience of how you view a person like that. Well, and she talked about how the way it clouds her mem- her positive memories of him, like it's just right. a poison. It's a it's a really nicely written article. I, I really like this passage here. Card is a monster who helped me learn to write. An author of hateful screed, whose novels taught lonely, angry kids compassion and gave them for their first sense of home. Yeah, you know we I, we talked about the same kind of thing when we talked about um, Brian Dunning in in his um, uh, indictment. That, that doing that kind of clouded, for, for me, it clouded some of the other stuff that he does. It's the same mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we should uh, recognize here, I think, that this has been a, a, a problem that has been uh, talked about for a, a long time. Uh, T.S. Eliot wrote about it close to a century ago, somewhere around there. And uh, his uh, assertion, he broke it down into that uh, there's a person is broken down into the mind that suffers and the mind that creates. He, you know, basically that people aren't all uh, one thing. You know, the, it's just a, a big problem that sometimes you meet people who uh, are your uh, heroes in it for writing or whatever. You love their writing and stuff, but they turn out to be jerks or you don't agree with them on certain things. Right. And you've got to find a way to resolve that. And, you know, that you, uh, I guess it's kind of an illusion. You think that when you read somebody that you've uh, reached in into them and you've and you've got some important piece of them and you and you know them by the writing. But it turns out that you don't know as much as you think you do. Shouldn't that always be the case, though? I mean, the, the fact of the matter is that just because you write a book, that doesn't have to really say anything about the person writing it. In fact, they True. could say just the opposite. They could be writing specific, specifically from perspective that is outside of their own to, in order to create something. Right. Yeah, I mean, you can. it's an illusion if you think you can uh, understand a person just by reading their fiction. You, you don't have as much connection with that person as you think you do. And if you can separate out uh, the person from 
uh, what they write, then uh, you might be able to still be get enjoyment out of it. Uh, although if you if you can't, if the per if the way that person is uh, is clouds your uh, view of that person too much, then that's perfectly valid. Nobody can tell you how to feel. Uh, one thing I thought of when I read the Harrison Ford article was the way that I separate like the members of a religion from my distaste for the religious tenets. So like uh, right. being anti. Islam doesn't necessarily mean I'm bigoted against Muslims. It just means I don't agree with some of the stuff in the religion. It kind of, I don't know, I thought that was, it reframed it a little bit for me. It's not as clean cut as the, I thought. There is a difference between the person and the ideas. Right. And I, and, and I think is it, um, who says that basically ideas can be and should be ridiculed, but not people. I completely agree with that. I think that is that is it Sean Carroll or is it um, no? It's not. It's an astro. It's that it's an astrophysicist. Uh, he wrote the particle at the end of the the universe about the hydron hydron collider. Oh, what did he, who said that? Anyway, well, sorry, but yeah, that and the, I think that that's absolutely correct. We, we shouldn't be attacking individuals. We should be attacking ideas, and right. ideas should be questioned. Uh, that's it's an interesting point. I'm I'm not sure exactly where I come down on it. I mean, where do you separate it? You know, you're supposed to not judge people by their, by some of their characteristics, by the, but by their deeds. And isn't what they choose to believe a deed? Well, in this particular case, we're, we're saying we don't like Orson Scott Card's position. Mm -hmm. And so because we don't like this position, we're not going to support these things. I, I think that's valid. Now, I, I did, I did go see Ender's Game and I did read the book. And Howard should know that I, I didn't go steal it from a store. I mean, because he let me know that they get paid even if I steal it from the store. So, so Howard, I didn't do that. He did, but he did get paid for me buying the book. I enjoyed the movie. Brilliant acting. I mean, the kid they had playing Ender, he did an incredible job. Yeah. That was just awesome. Is there anything in the book or the movie that, knowing his positions on these things, does it put anything in the book or the movie into a different perspective and make you see them in the light that it's a uh, it's a slap against somebody no, no it's not no not even the not even the use of the not even the aliens being called buggers you might be reading more into that than uh, than I did I might be yeah, yeah, I just think it's interesting. Like I say, I mean, you know, you take somebody, and this is my own personal thing. I, I completely own that. Um, I can't watch Mel Gibson anymore. Yeah. He's so hateful. But, you know, Riggs wasn't a bigot. Riggs wasn't blaming the Jews for all the crime in the movie and lethal weapon and stuff like that. He was an awesome character. I will most likely die without seeing lethal weapon again, though, because that man is so hideous to me. Am I losing out? Probably. Probably. But he can't do right as a character for me anymore because of what he's done in real life. Well, and, and again, I, I don't know if that's valid. I don't know if it's smart. I don't. That's just that's one example of it. And like you say, Orson Scott Card might have not written any of his homophobia into this twenty years ago, but he's still not somebody. I don't. I think he's too odious to be connected to well, the well thing like, I, like i said nobody can tell you how you should be feeling about this kind of thing i mean i, I think it's personally valid it's perfectly valid to say personally that uh the, that this has soured it for you and uh, your, your feelings won't let you enjoy this kind of thing anymore right you know it isn't the other problem with with orson cut card is that when all this come out we knew what his beliefs were instead of just saying hey that's what i believe and 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 going away no he he kind of used it as a podium Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So he so he escalated the controversy instead of instead of instead of just saying I have these beliefs and I wrote this book. No, he he he, no, he took it to the next he's level. He's actually using yeah. the controversy to advance his agenda. So in, in that respect, I mean, he he is he's gone beyond. He's not quite at Mel Gibson level, but he mm -hmm. he has gone beyond just this is what I believe. Mm -hmm. Well, now oh, hold on a minute. Um, not quite Mel Gibson level. Do we really? Do we want to really reward somebody for not behaving as badly as somebody else? Oh, well, I'm just I, I'm, 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 put, just I'm, just, ask, I'm right? just putting it on a scale. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know okay, what? He, so if you're going to put it on a scale, how many, uh, how many Orson Scott cards <laughs> equals one Mel Gibson? Uh, okay, fine. You know what? They've both rung the bell, and and uh, they both done bad. <laughs> yeah, but how many? How many? I, I don't know. Um, you Does know, it take to equal one Mel Gibson now. 
uh, I don't know. He, he what, you need a calculator yeah, for I that. Think, that's boy. pretty advanced. That's, yeah. that's, that's and, top of your head. And you know, if we're going to do that math, how many Orson Scott cards does it take to equal Mel Gibson sober, and how many does it take? Okay. To- <laughs> all right. All right. And how many of them does it take to screw in a light bulb? <laughs> well, I think they both live in California, and Californians don't don't screw in light bulbs. They generally screw in hot tubs. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. All right. So I, stick a fork in this one. Stick a fork in it. <laughs> it's done. All right. Well, we're out of time anyway. So say good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. That's another one in the can. Thank you for listening to the Amateur Skeptics podcast. For more information about the Amateur Skeptics, go to amateurskeptics.com to send us feedback, suggestions, or big flaming insults. Feel free to contact us at WTF at AmateurSkeptics.com. Other contact information can be found on our website. You can leave a voicemail for the Amateur Skeptics podcast at 720-295-7785. Music for this podcast was provided by OFM. To find out more about OFM, go to MySpace.com forward slash OFMHQ. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons No Derivative 3.5 license. Thank you for listening to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast. Amateur Skeptics website, Facebook, and podcast album art is provided by and copyright Shadow Knight Digital Portraiture. Larger prints or custom pieces are available upon request. 